We're in the book of Obadiah this morning. I, I'm curious, how many of you engaged in reading the entire book of Obadiah this week? Not to worry, we are going to read the whole book this morning, okay? But before we do, I want to take us to a passage that I've, I've quoted and gone to numerous times before. It's interesting, you know, God has given us his truth. And there are certain truths that we see in God's word that are timeless. There's many truths that are absolutely timeless. And one of the truths that he gives us in the book of Proverbs is, is that way. This, this portion that I'm going to read in just a moment is a 6-7 pattern. It's a Hebrew poetry pattern, and it gives a list of six things, and it gives the emphasis on the seventh. It's not an exhaustive list, but this type of poetry was there to stress the importance of that final seventh thing. With that in mind, I want to read for you from Proverbs chapter 6. Listen to what God tells us. There are six things the Lord hates. No, seven things he detests. Some translations say it's an abomination. Let's count them off here. One, haughty eyes. Two, a lying tongue. Three, hands that kill the innocent. Four, a heart that plots evil. Five, feet that race to do wrong. Six, a false witness who pours out lies. All of that to emphasize the seventh, a person who sows discord in a family. A person who sows discord in a family. God detested. It's an abomination. Obadiah, as we look at this book this morning, is a, a culmination of a long series of historical events that occurs between two brothers in a family. We are looking at the end result of discord in a family. And we're going to be looking at these two brothers, but we sang up here about being a part of the family of God. And, and we, we've said up here before that we are a family of families. And this morning represented amongst us is numerous family groups all coming together as the family of God. So I want us to keep it in that mindset as we look at this family. 
If you don't recall, we're going to do a brief history on this family and these two brothers. I'd encourage you to turn in your Bibles all the way back to Genesis because that's where this starts. Genesis chapter 25, and it begins this way. Isaac pleaded with the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was unable to have children. The Lord answered Isaac's prayer, and Rebekah became pregnant with twins. But the two children struggled with each other in her womb. So she went and asked the Lord about it. Why is this happening to me, she asked. And the Lord told her, the sons in your womb will become two nations. From the very beginning, the two nations will be rivals. One nation will be stronger than the other. And your older son will serve your younger son. And when the time came to give birth, Rebekah discovered that she did indeed have twins. The first was very red at birth and covered with thick hair like a fur coat. So they named him Esau. Then the other twin was born with his hand grasping Esau's heel. So they named him Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when the twins were born. As the boys grew up, Esau became a skillful hunter. He was outdoorsman. But Jacob was a quiet temp- had, had a quiet temperament, preferring to stay at home. Isaac loved Esau. He enjoyed eating the wild game Esau brought home. But Rebekah loved Jacob. Interesting, we see from the very beginning some division occurring already within the home structure. Jacob, Jacob eventually, God would change his name. Do you remember that? He would wrestle with with God through the night. God would touch his hip, boom, wrestling match over. But God changed Jacob's name that night to Israel, one who wrestles with God. A very fitting name or one who strives with God. Esau, on the other hand, would have his name changed later to Edom. Red. For the red lentil stew that he would give up his birthright for in order to, well, satisfy his hunger. Israel and Edom. From the very beginning, we, we see the division begin to happen. We see right in the home that there is favoritism even amongst the parents. It's destructive. Parents, let me tell you this right now. And I'm not a perfect parent. Ask my kids. They're here. They'll tell you. Ask my wife. But favoritism amongst children is disastrous and it drove a wedge from the very beginning between these two boys every one of your children should think that they are your favorite love them equally but this boy Esau he would show disregard for his very birthright he would quickly 
give up the things of value importance for the temporal. Oh, how quickly sometimes we can look at the temporal things of life and seek those things, hold on to those things, giving up the things that matter most. And Esau would run after the things of this world. Eventually he would marry women of, of the, the Canaanite women who would steal his heart towards their gods. He would go and chase after the daughters of Ishmael to spite his very parents. Division and distance begins to build between these two brothers. Neither one was, was perfect. Scripture is very clear to show that, that both were at fault. But Esau would continue to seek the things of this world. Shunning what God said. Shunning what God had instructed and we see this division continue from generation to generation to generation. Parents, grandparents, don't think that the, the division that you have will just be between you and another. It has such great capability to continue on. And we see this happen. Eventually, Esau or Edom would settle down south of Judah. Remember, Judah was that southern kingdom. They would even go further south into the mountainous area, to the rocks. And there they would, they would make their dwelling, their city, up high on the mountain as pride would build up within their, his heart. We know these places well today as Petra. The rock country, the rock city. And this is where they would establish. Not only were they built high upon the rocks, their pride, their ego made them disgusted in God's eyes. Pride would set in. They set their capital city on the road of the kings. All nations would go through there, feeding all the more to the, the desire of this world. Oh, how quickly we can get off base even today, can't we? The things of the world that, that can grip our hearts so quick, they're fleeting. But we seek after them. It was a military stronghold. The Edomites thought no one could conquer us. The only way to get in was through a narrow, narrow channel. They had the upper hand militarily. Making alliances with nations around them. Oh, and the wealth and power... Who needs God, right? Scripture records the interactions between these two nations time and time and time again. I want to look at just a, a, a couple here. 
as, as history would go on. These two generations, these two nations would carry the bitterness of the past. I don't want a raise of hands. But I, I, I am sure this morning there are some here who struggle with bitterness. Holding on to those things in the past. And some here this morning are captives of that very bitterness. And when it rears its ugly head, it is disastrous amongst brothers. God brought his people out of Egypt. He's bringing them to the promised land. Edom has established that amazing fortress in the mountains. And as they come out, their brothers, Israel, ask for passage through. Look at verse or chapter 20 of Numbers. As they come, it says this, verse, verse 14, there we go. While Moses was at Kadesh, he sent ambassadors to the king of Eden with this message. Listen to how this message is, is delivered to Edom. This is what your relatives, the people of Israel, say. You know all the hardships we've been through. Our ancestors went down to Egypt and we lived there a long time. And we and your ancestors were brutally mistreated by the Egyptians. But when we cried out to the Lord, he heard us and sent an angel who brought us out of Egypt. Now we are camped at Kadesh, a town on the border of your land. Please let us travel through your land. We will be careful not to go through your fields and vineyards. We won't even drink water from your wells. We will stay on the king's road and never leave it until we have passed through your territory. Does that sound like a, a, a reasonable request? Here's the response. But the king of Edom said, stay out. Stay out of my land or I will meet you with an army. That's a little rude. It's no way to greet family. The Israelites answered, we will stay on the main road. If our livestock drink your water we will pay for it just let us pass through your country that's all we ask but the king of Edom replied stay out you may not pass through our land with that he mobilized his army and marched out against them with an imposing of imposing force because Edom refused to allow Israel to pass through their country, Israel was forced to turn around. And God remembered that. You know, it's concerning that God remembers things. 
It says he puts our sins when we come to Christ as far as the east is from the west. But God has a memory. And God remembered this. There were no help in battle either. The Philistines and the Arabians would attack Jerusalem. Jerusalem would cry out for, for assistance in this battle. And they just would mock them. They laughed at their plight. They cheered on their enemy. Bitterness had gripped their heart. Obadiah 12 and 14 speaks of this. We'll read that in a moment. Rejoicing over calamity. Have you allowed bitterness to get so deep in your heart that when something bad occurs to a brother or sister in Christ that you are at odds with, that you actually smile? That it actually brings joy to your heart? Nothing could make God more sick than allowing that bitterness to be there for a brother or sister. Discord amongst the family. Their hate for one another was, was deep. Unforgiveness was not dealt with. In fact, it was held on to as a trophy. Bitterness so deep that they would celebrate at the calamity of their brothers. Bitterness took root in the depths of the heart of Esau. That root would grow into a tree of bitterness. And the fruit, the fruit of that from generation to generation would poison people in their lives. Wearsby says this about bitterness. Bitterness refers to a settled hostility. Look at that, settled. It's settled in your heart and mind. A settled hostility that poisons the whole inner man. An unknown author would say this. He says, bitterness is like cancer. It eats upon the host. I hope none here this morning are struggling with bitterness. Because if you are, you're the one to lose. With this background in mind, I want us to consider the book of Obadiah. I'm going to read the whole book for you this morning. You're like, we're going to be here forever. That's all right. This is a good book. All 21 verses of it. You're like, oh, I could have raised my hand this week. I know, this is a powerful book. We're in the minor prophets, they're small. You can do this, all right? But Obadiah begins this way. We're going to read the whole thing. Turn there, this is a good book. This is the vision that the sovereign Lord revealed to Obadiah concerning the land of Edom. The Sovereign Lord. What a powerful way to introduce. We have heard a message from the Lord. 
that an ambassador was sent to the nations to say, Get ready, everyone. Let's assemble our armies and attack Edom. The Lord says to Edom, I will cut you down to size among the nations. You will great, be greatly despised. You have been deceived by your own pride because you live in the rock fortress and make your home high in the mountains. Who can ever reach us up here? You ask boastfully. But even if you soar as high as eagles and build your nest among the stars, I will bring you crashing down, says the Lord. If thieves came at night and robbed you, what a disaster awaits you. They would not take everything. Those who harvest grapes always leave a few for the poor, but your enemies will wipe you out completely. Every nook and cranny of Edom will be searched and looted. Every treasure will be found and taken. All your allies will turn against you. They will help to chase you from your land. They will promise you peace while, blotting, while plotting to deceive and destroy you. Your trusted friends will set traps for you and you won't even know about it. At the time, not a single wise person will be left in the whole land of Edom, says the Lord. For on the mountains of Edom I will destroy everyone who has understanding. The mightiest warriors of Teman will be terrified. And everyone on the mountains of Edom will be cut down in slaughter. Hear this. Because of the violence you did to your close relatives, Israel. You will be filled with shame and destroyed forever. When they were invaded, you stood aloof, refusing to help them. Foreign invaders carried off their wealth and cast lots to divide up Jerusalem, but you acted like one of Israel's enemies. You should not have gloated when they exiled your relatives to distant lands. You should not have rejoiced when the people of Judah suffered such misfortune. You should not have spoken arrogantly in the terrible time of trouble. You should not have plundered the land of Israel when they were suffering such calamity. You should not have gloated over their destruction when they were suffering such calamity. You should not have seized their wealth when they were suffering such calamity. You should not have stood at the crossroads. Killing those who tried to escape. You should not have captured the survivors and handed them over in their terrible time of trouble. God doesn't forget. The day is near when I, the Lord, will judge all godless nations. As you have done to Israel, so it will be done to you. All your evil deeds will fall back on your own heads. 
Just as you swallowed up my people on my holy mountain, so you and the surrounding nations will swallow the punishment I pour out on you. Yes, all you nations will drink and stagger and disappear from history. But Jerusalem will become a refuge for those who escape. It will be a holy place. The people of Israel will come back to reclaim their inheritance. The people of Israel will be a raging fire in Edom, a field of dry stubble. The descendants of Joseph will be aflame, roaring across the fields, devouring everything. There will be no survivors in Edom. I, the Lord, have spoken. Then... Then my people living in Negev will occupy the mountain of Edom. Those living in the foothills of Judah will possess the Philistine plains and take over the fields of Ephraim and Samaria. And all the people of Benjamin will occupy the land of Galilee. The exiles of Israel will return to their land and occupy the Phoenician coast as far north as Zephyrath. Zephyrath, there we go. The captives from Jerusalem, exiled in the north, will return home and resettle the towns of the Negev. Those who have been rescued will go up to Mount Zion in Jerusalem and the, to rule over the mountain of Edom. And the Lord himself will be king. Quite a powerful book when you consider the background and what has occurred here. When we look at this, it's, it's, it's brief, it's pointed, it's powerful. And it's just as much for you and I today as it was for Edom to hear this, for Jerusalem to hear this. Edom stands as a prime example of Proverbs 16, 18. Pride goes before destruction and haughtiness before a fall. They were so proud, so arrogant and boastful wilkinson says this about edom i love this I, I i need to read it just so you get the idea here edom was later controlled by assyria and babylon in the fifth century bc the edomites were forced by the nebatines to leave their territory they moved to the area of southern palestine and became known as indomians that may sound familiar because Herod the Great was one, becoming king of Judah, Judea over Rome in 37 BC. In a sense, the enmity between Esau and Jacob continued as he sought to murder Jesus. But listen to this. The Edomians participated in the rebellion of Jerusalem against Rome and were defeated along with the Jews by Titus in A.D. 70. Ironically, the Edomites applauded the destruction of Jerusalem in 586 B.C., but died trying to defend it in A.D. 70. After that time, they were never heard of again. As Obadiah predicted, they would be cut off forever. There were no survivors of the house of Esau. Complete. God is not mocked. All of this because two brothers allowed bitterness 
and discord to occur in the home. And God hates it. It's an abomination. In this brief book, we see that Edom is tried, convicted, and sentenced. Tried for what they did to Israel, but also for their inaction. What they didn't do. We have kids, those of you who have or worked with kids, how many of you have ever heard the phrase, but I didn't do anything? By the chuckling, a lot of you, okay? I didn't do anything. Exactly. You did nothing. It goes all the way back to Cain and Abel, where Cain cries out to God, am I my brother's keeper? God's answer is yes. Yes, you are. When we look around, am I my brother or sister's keeper? Yes. You need to watch out for each other. Yes, you need to have each other's back. Yes, you need to care. Yes, yes, yes. You are your brother's keeper. You are your sister's keeper. God has called us to that. Convicted. God lays it out. The evidence is clear. The past shows that discord, the brokenness. It's interesting that verse 15 switches to all nations. Edom along with all nations. There's, there's a similarity between Edom, Adam and Adam. Humanity. Edom is the picture of humanity, fallen humanity. And as we look at, at Edom, we see God's anger, his wrath towards a world that rejects him and pursues the things that are temporal, that appeal to the flesh, our desires. There will be no survivors. God will judge. And it will be complete. Did you notice what it said there? I, the Lord, have spoken. The gavel came down. Boom! Tried. Convicted. Sentenced. It will occur. It did occur. Just as God said it would. God is not mocked. The other prophets and, and others would speak of it. Joel would say this, but Egypt will become a wasteland and Edom will become a wilderness because they attacked the people of Judah and killed innocent people in their land. You look at Petra today, it is a desolate wilderness still. Nothing's there. Look at what Amos said. This is what the Lord says, the people of Edom have sinned again and again, and I will not let them go unpunished. 
They chased down their relatives, the Israelites, with swords, showing them no mercy. In their rage, they slashed them continually and were unrelenting in their anger. Malachi, will look at him in a few weeks. Malachi says this, Esau's descendants in Edom may say, we have been shattered, but we will be rebuild the ruins. But the Lord of Heaven's army replies, they may try to rebuild, but I will demolish them again. Their country will be known as the land of wickedness, and their people will be called the people with whom the Lord is forever angry. God is patient, but there is a limit. Don't try his patience. You know, I'm not naive to family quarrels. Disputes amongst brothers and sisters. I had five siblings. There were six of us. I was the oldest. I probably caused a lot of the things, but, you know, that's not for today. But amongst family squabbles, sometimes we have to step back and let God deal with things. Instead of holding on to that bitterness, I, I love how this book ended. Did you see what God was doing? Did you see how God intervened? It's beautiful. God was the one who restores Israel. Israel doesn't do it. God does it. God gives a place of refuge to run to. God is the one who gives the land of Edom and all its possession to Israel. God does that. You and I need to be comfortable with allowing God to restore, allowing God to do the work. Instead, though, we hold on to that bitterness, we hold on to that unforgiveness, and we allow the division to rip our families, our relationships, our homes apart. And we see that rip occur in our churches. Six things God hates. The seventh is an abomination. One who sows discord in a family. You know, I wouldn't want to be the one sowing discord. If that's what God says. And he says it. Fosdick says this. I love this. Bitterness imprisons life. Love releases it. Bitterness paralyzes life. Love empowers it. Bitterness sickens life love heals it bitterness blinds life love anoints its eyes no greater love did we ever see than when God himself would come taking the bitterness 
the discord, the sin, the filth, the evil, and taking it upon himself. We read about God's perspective of unity in the Proverbs, but he demonstrated it when he came in the flesh. I want to read for you the very words of God himself in the flesh before he went to that cross. I want to read these words because they're about you. You. Me. John chapter 17. The night that Jesus would be betrayed, beaten, spit upon, and the next day crucified. This is what was on his heart. Verse 11 says this, Now I am departing from this world. By the way, he's praying to his heavenly Father. And this is what he prays for you and I. They are staying in this world, but I am coming to you, Holy Father. You have given me your name. Now protect them by the power of your name so that they will be united just as we are. Look over at verse 20. I'm praying not only for these disciples. He was praying for those men. Those men that he knew would abandon him in just a few minutes' time. I'm praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. I pray that they will all be one just as you and I are one. As you are in me, Father, and I am in you. And may they be in us so that the world will believe you sent me. I have given them the glory you gave me so they may be one as we are one. I am in them and you are in me. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. Do you realize when brothers and sisters get along in unity, it is a testimony to the world around us it is God who heals. It is God who restores. He restores the broken home. He restores the broken marriage. He restores that broken friendship. He restores the brokenhearted, the broken individual. It is God who restores. He does the work. God restores the relationships that have been broken and ripped apart. I am not negating what ripped it apart. It's real. It hurt. And you know what? What ripped it apart was wrong and sin. Call it what it is. It's evil. 
But God came to restore the broken relationship between God and man. And there was a vast chasm there, people. And at the cross, we see that brokenness restored. The forgiveness Christ extended to you and me at Calvary attacks bitterness at the very root. Because bitterness is sin. And it comes straight from the pits of hell. Destroys, it rips. We want to sit here this morning so badly and think, I have a right to hold on. I have a right to have a grudge. You have no idea how bad they hurt. My feelings have been crushed. Trust, broken, wrong has been done. Yes. And we did all of that to God himself, a holy, righteous God. And as believers, we stand forgiven. I love the quote from Dietrich Bonhoeffer. A man who, by human right, had every right to have bitterness. And he writes this, God, give me such love for God and men as it will blot out all hatred and bitterness. Our love for God, our love for those around us, the greatest commandment, right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. God, give me such love for you that it drowns out any hate and bitterness. There's a lesson for us in this powerful, brief book of Obadiah. There's a lesson for you and me. God takes our relationships with one another, with brothers and sisters in Christ, in the family of God. He takes it serious. Oh, may we be a people. May we be a church, a family that has a testimony that all who know us, all who see us, all who watch us will see our God and what he does. And they, because of seeing that, will want to become a part of the family of God. My prayer is that whatever you are holding on to today, you let go of it and let God do an amazing restorative work. Let's pray. God, you know the brokenness that's here this morning. And God, some of the wounds are deep and painful. 
Sin is evil. It's destructive. No wonder, God, you, you hate it so much. But God, you sent your Son to restore the broken. And God, I know there's broken here this morning. So I pray that you would do that work. God, I pray that whatever bitterness and hate and anger and unforgiveness is there, that God, you would give the strength and the ability to let go of that and may that cling to you. God, thank you for your word. Thank you that we see you doing the work and that we can come to you. So we come this morning in Jesus' name, amen.